Welcome to LJN Radio. I'm Tim Muma, and today on Moving Up the Ladder, leadership is on the table. Now, this is a very popular topic on many of our shows, but we're looking at it with a slightly different angle this time around. Joining us is Rob Asgar. He is a university fellow for the USC Center on Public Diplomacy. He's also a contributing writer to Forbes, and that's where he penned the term downward mobility, and we're going to tackle that specifically here in just a moment. Rob, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, Tim. We're discussing leadership. It's a popular topic for many reasons on a lot of our shows, but it's always great to get a different perspective, different thought process from our guests. So I wanted to start there. How do you define leadership when you think of that term or you think of a person who would be considered a leader? I think there's two ways that people tend to, well, one way people tend to think about it and generally, and that's that idea that the leader is the big dog. The leader is simply the person with the most authority. Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful sometimes to think of leadership more as a leader is somebody who has a particular direction that he or she wants to take people in. So it's not just about being the person with the signing authority or the person with a veto or anything like that, the decider. It's more about the idea that they have a particular place to take people. They feel, hey, everyone, we need to get here. Right. And, and then they, they move there and, and other folks follow behind them that makes them a leader. And that's a little bit different from just wanting to be the person in charge. It, because wanting to be the person in charge, either you are a narcissist or you become a, a very narcissistic. <laughs> right. it, it can get sociopathic at some point. Yeah, whatever we're doing, I should be in charge of that. Sure. And we will touch on kind of that angle a little bit here uh, shortly. In terms of leadership, when people look at leaders or they think about leaders, do you think there's a positive image? Or do you think in general people kind of have this negative taste in their mouth, whether it be a boss or a coach or a teacher, just in general, not happy with what they see from leaders? I think people are not happy with what they see in leaders. On the other hand, everybody assumes they could do better. True. And so that's one reason why, that's one reason why you have so many leadership gurus and experts and there's people like myself out there giving talks and writing books and saying, here's how you can do it. And the fact of the matter is, yeah, we don't lack for politicians running for president because True. even in politics where we are most cynical about leaders, you still got everybody wanting to sign up for the job. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just human ego though. Right. Well, and I was going to say though, on the flip side, you know, some of us will say, you know, I think I could do a better job, but it seems like people are a little hesitant to take on that role. Do you get that sense or do you see a reason why people wouldn't necessarily want to take that step forward? I think sometimes people are smart to not take that step forward, frankly, because okay. <laughs> leadership is hell. Leadership is really hard, thankless work most of the time whether you're a politician or a, somebody involved in a nonprofit or all kinds of work, it's very thankless work. Other people on the outside do sit there and think, I could have done better. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, you're, the people under you think, I could do better. And it's hard and lonely, especially the farther up you go toward the top. And so those people who say, I don't want to do it, they are probably wise in many cases. I'm sure there's some gifted people who just say they don't want to be leaders, but I, I oftentimes say that they should be given permission not to be because too many people sign on for leadership. Let's say you're a doctor and you decide you want to be, you want to be the head administrator at the hospital. Maybe you're just better in the operating room. Maybe mm-hmm. you'll make a bigger impact on humanity if you're a teacher and you just keep teaching the classroom rather than becoming principal. You might get better parking if you're principal, but frankly, maybe we'd be better served with you just there in the trenches and not at the top. It is funny. We do hear that a lot. I mean, across industries, you bring a a couple of good examples there as far as people who, you know, they're really great at the work, but when they move up to that administrative type overseeing position, it's a little bit different. How about from the other side of it where people say, you know, I don't want to have to maybe deal with certain things or maybe are there certain sacrifices they'd have to give up? And what do you see as far as people maybe saying, yeah, that's not really for me? Well, you mentioned the the idea that some people just naturally move up from up 
the ladder from doing the thing to actually being in charge of it. That was actually a big part of the Peter Principle, that book by Lawrence Peter about incompetence, mm-hmm. that oftentimes people who are good at, say, a, a basic the basic task of their business end up getting promoted to management and leadership and then find they're terrible leader at, at that at the leadership management part, but they were good at the simple skill of, say, teaching or doing surgery or whatnot. As far as the people who say, I don't know if I want to deal with the headaches, I think it's smart. It, it, some, sometimes, though, a person has to figure out Let's say, let's say they are a person who wants to push people in a particular direction. We really need to get here. Then they have to try to figure out what can I learn? And that's where some of the leadership theory and some of the stuff we talk about can come in very handy that they're going to have to take seriously certain things they have to do to rally people, to motivate people, to deal with headaches, to deal with HR issues. But again, it's a lot of thankless stuff. And I think some of the wisest people I know in the leadership realm have said that there's that view, the idealistic view that leadership is all about a vision and giving big speeches. Mm-hmm. And I think that the fact of the matter is leadership actually involves maybe 70 to 80% minutia and hard work and trivia and things like that that drive the person crazy. But they, they, they're able to slog through it, handle those details, and then also attend to that 20% big stuff that's symbolic and it involves giving speeches and rallying the troops and so on. When it comes to being a leader, how much does vanity and ego play a role? I mean, is it necessary to move up to a position like that? I know oftentimes I'm involved in a lot of sports and you hear, well, if you're a coach, you Mm -hmm. have to have some sort of ego because you believe you know Mm -hmm. better than the other coach or you know more that you can teach the players. Is it kind of a necessary evil to have those things, the idea of vanity or ego or however you want to phrase that type of personality trait? Yeah, I I definitely believe it's a necessary evil. And I think most people who talk about leadership, who do leadership theory and who the gurus, they don't really attest to that, but it's a necessary evil. I I once talked to this woman, Jean Twang at the San Diego State University, who's a big expert on narcissism. And she had said, don't get me wrong. Narcissism can be a big pain and it can make some people do bad things. On the other hand, I would want a certain amount of narcissism in my president. I would want a certain amount of narcissism. I expect a certain amount of it. Sure. And it's just, it comes with the territory because you know, you have most people are afraid of public speaking. Well, then there's a certain handful of people who actually like to walk up to the microphone. They want it. That's an unusual type, right? And they probably have a certain amount of narcissism in there. And in the same way, leadership is messy. So the kind of person who naturally says, I got this, tends to, have, tends to be a little bit full of himself, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's fair. I think people have seen that across the board, but I think that's a, a great point that uh, you have to kind of take the bull by the horns on a lot of those situations that the average person, quote unquote, might not want to do. How about the allure of leadership in general? Of course, people think of power and, and how it sort of gets inside of you and then you want more of it. Do you see it as being something that people get stuck in and they just, they can't get out of that cycle? Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think that leadership and authority like a lot of things, can become addictive. Hmm. And you're dealing with biochemistry of addiction where a person gets more of it and they're not as happy with it. They still want more. And what I've seen is that there's a lot of leaders, Tim, who when they get to the end of their careers, they are just rudderless. They don't know what to do with themselves. They can tell suddenly they're less relevant. They can't physically, emotionally tolerate it. I've seen some of these people up close. It's actually kind of sad because their identity becomes completely fused to their position that they held. And the hard part about leadership is at some point, you got to retire and go back to the farm. A few people did it. George Washington was able to do it. The old Roman general of Cincinnati was able to do it. John Wooden was able to leave on top. But you know, Joe Paterno couldn't. He knew he would just shrivel up and die the minute he left the job. And so it created some various kinds of problems out there. But you do see a lot of leaders who, when they become the alpha dog, they just can never get away from it. But it's healthy for organizations and for themselves to actually say, yes, I can step away from it all and go back to the farm. 
And that's exactly where we wanted to go with this conversation. We obviously aren't looking to bash leadership and it's extremely important. And we want those people who have those skills to be out there and willing to become leaders. But you brought up there the idea of stepping down, stepping away, finding that way out, for lack of a better term. You penned it as downward mobility in an article you had. Can you just explain a little bit more detail for our listeners what the vision is there, the idea of leadership and downward mobility? Yeah, because if you think about it in some terms, it, there's the old religious image of Moses being the reluctant leader, right? Mm-hmm. That God says, hey, go out there and lead my people. He says, I don't want to find right. somebody better. And and sometimes people idealize that, that isn't that great that a guy like Moses didn't want to do it, but did the job and so on. But the truth of the matter is most leaders are not like Moses. Most are happily signing up for the job, even when they know it's a headache. Everybody knows whoever gets becomes president next time is going to have huge headaches, but a lot of folks still want the job. And so what happens is that there are other traditions we lose sight of, ability to step away from it all, which in this Hindu and Buddhist tradition was called sannyasa, renunciation. And that's when you get to a late stage in your life, you actively renounce a lot of what you've achieved and what you possess in order to get ready for the next life, let's say. But that, that sort of a thing exists in some Western models too, and the idea of Jesus serving the poor and mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things that it's not all about hogging the limelight. There's something actually sacred about stepping down into a more humble position. And that's a great spiritual virtue, but it's also a pretty practical virtue for CEOs and chairmen and various other kinds of people who otherwise are tempted to hang on too long, even when they're not effective and even when they keep somebody else from getting a shot. I appreciate you bringing up the idea of Moses and the other examples too, but I think what's interesting is that for those who may or may not know, Moses actually didn't get into the promised land. So I guess there might be a little bit of a, a story there in and of itself. When you talk about the idea of this downward mobility, stepping down, are there signs of when maybe you should start considering this or when it might be time to make sure you avoid that, as you said, sort of the shell of yourself and you're not even happy, you're just doing it because it's all you know? How do you really know when it's time to sort of pull back? I think one key thing which most leaders don't do is really give permission to people around you to give you feedback. Am I still hitting home runs and triples? Am I hitting more doubles now, singles? Am I occasionally bunting? And you do see people who've been in a position for 10 years, 15 years, that they get to that point where they hunker down and they get very conservative and they're surrounded by a lot of yes men. Hmm. And I, I know one guy who was a, a very prominent management person who was talking to a, a CEO friend about, say, when this guy would retire. And this management expert had told me that he hoped to be candid to the person when he thinks the person can't hit home runs anymore. Mm-hmm. And when the time came, that never happened because human beings are very polite. So it's hard <laughs> to really encourage people, give me, give me the feedback. Am I not the person anymore? Do we need some fresh blood, some new leadership? Some of it involves counting on others to help get that feedback. Part of it is a sense that after you've been there a certain number of years, you should have a sense that this is a full tenure. Why am I hanging on now? Sure. There should be a, a willingness to go back to, because in the case of George Washington, you know, obviously folks were willing to make him de facto head, dictator, king, president for life. And he was the one who said, nah, that's not good for either of us. <laughs> and it, so that takes a certain amount of self-awareness, but it, it is too rare. Right. Are there any things that a leader can do even earlier in their career that, I don't know, maybe keeps them from rising to a point, again, for lack of a better term, rising to a point that's so high above or far above everyone else that they feel it difficult to scale back down or to put the ego aside and say, I'm not that person anymore. And again, it, it could be from your experience, people you've talked to, things you've you've read, or is that just something that, you know, as, as you get further along in your career, it's, it's something you just got to figure out? I think it ties again to that idea, Tim, that 
you, if you're in a leadership position, you don't put leader on your business card. Hmm. You don't automatically think of yourself as a leader in any context, you know, whether you go to your, your civic organization or your business or your PTA. Right? You don't sit there and say, I'm, I'm naturally CEO. I should be CEO of all things. That's, sure. Again, that takes a sociopath. <laughs> so if you are CEO of one thing, you should probably work hard on, on seeing yourself as a role player and follower in, in other areas. That keeps you from getting addicted to the role of leader. And again, if you think of the leader as a person who has some place to take people right. and then like in the case of Moses, got to take him to the promised land, takes him to the edge of it, and he doesn't get in himself. They go in, but that was his task, as opposed to the idea that he was going to be king or yeah, forever and that, that sort of thing. So leaders who think, I have a particular place I want to take my institution or company or organization, they have a chance to say, all right, we got that done, and maybe, maybe it's time to go, as opposed to the people who simply think authority and being in charge, being the number one person is their natural God-given right. Rob, I really appreciated the conversation. I think some really interesting perspectives and some good examples, uh, both from history and from the modern kind of point of view. Was there anything else you'd want to leave the listeners with in terms of leadership, in terms of downward mobility? Just a nice takeaway from our conversation today. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that leadership is something that a lot of people aspire to. People don't necessarily need to aspire to it. Uh, oftentimes, I see kids who sign up for leadership courses and so forth. They just think, how do I become a leader? And life is, again, life is about doing the things you really want to do as opposed to being in charge and thinking about what you want to do, where you want to take people, where you want to go, as opposed to what kind of position do I want to hold? The first one where you focus on what you want to do rather than what kind of title you hold is is much healthier. And I think that makes a person much happier in the end. Rob, good stuff. Uh, Again, appreciate your insight into this whole idea of leadership. And then, of course, uh, the way out, so to speak, that downward mobility that probably a lot of people don't think about or talk about. So thanks a lot for coming on sharing with us. Thanks a lot, Tim. And with that, we will wrap up this edition of Moving Up the Ladder. We were speaking today with Rob Asgar, a contributing writer to Forbes, as well as a university fellow for the USC Center on Public Diplomacy. And our conversation was focused on leadership and the idea of downward mobility. If you have any feedback for us on this show or any of our episodes at LJN Radio, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter, at the LJN, and you can find all of our shows on iTunes. Just search LJN Radio in the iTunes store. Thanks once again for listening. I'm Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.